Welcome to the Sourced Week in Review. Jordan McDonald, welcome. My name's Michael Crutcher and we're back after a couple of weeks break because you were away and I was away. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, I was away crook and then came back. I only came back for about a day and then you were off. That's right. Time goes so fast. We're all back. Yes. So we don't just have the week in review. We've got maybe a few weeks in review. But we'll keep it to things that have happened recently because a lot has happened as it always does in this field. And the first one we're going to talk about is a cricket matter with Pat Cummins, the Australian cricket captain. So it's December, it's cricket, it's day two of the Adelaide tests. Uh, Always a good test to cover. And Pat Cummins isn't playing because he's injured. But what we did see this week was a release of a... A media report which uh, claim which contains some information about, I guess, the perception of Pat Cummins. So this follows uh, a story that's been around for a little while, just about was first reported about uh, Pat Cummins' thoughts as Australian captain on being involved in any advertising for a, a very large Cricket Australia sponsor in Alinta Energy. And yep. media reports surfaced to say yep. that Cummins um, did not want to be involved in uh, advertisements for Alinta Energy. He's got concerns around um, the impact on the environment, on energy, etc. So he opted out. Now, this started a, I guess, criticism of Cummins and uh, what he should do as a national captain, uh, his employer... Uh, the role of sponsors, not unlike the Netball Australia one we've discussed here previously yeah. on the podcast, yeah. and not unlike that, but uh, it's certainly um, a little bit different to that. But this week, um, News Corp papers reported uh, on um, some findings from an organisation called True North, um, which showed a divide uh, with generations in research they had done. Older generations thought that Cummins should just uh, get on with business and do um, his work as a captain representing yeah. sponsors, mm-hmm. whereas younger fans uh, were very supportive of Pat Cummins. Um, uh, and the research uh, showed that they thought that he should stick to his guns um, and... Uh, stand for something and this on this uh, front it's standing for uh, his his concerns about the environment which brings us to something we talk about a lot what is this different perception of people through um, generations so and I think it's something we saw in um, the manly NRL pride jersey which we discussed mm, on this podcast definitely and we saw it with the netball Australia one. Mm-hmm where definitely there were older voices who said you don't get to choose on this. Um, you p- want to play sport, you play it um, and you want to get paid. You've got to do the uh, recognition of sponsors, but the younger generation are very different. So, Jordan, as the younger person on this podcast, considerably younger, <laughs> are you surprised that we have a generational divide and what will Pat Cummins do? No, it, it doesn't surprise me that the older people, the older generation see it one way and young people see it another. Um, you know, that's often the case with uh, when these generations, or these two generations look at one issue, particularly if it's related to something like climate change. Um, we know young Australians in general are concerned about climate change. 
they also expect to see the organisations that they engage with reflect that belief and show yeah. that they are working to reduce the impact on climate change. Um, so this is why the younger audiences have, audiences have really gotten around and behind Pat Cummins when he challenged the Alinta Energy sponsorship. Um, you know, young audiences, they, they yearn to feel empowered. They want to be heard and, and to lead change. And I reckon they've seen themselves in, uh, in Pat there. It's it's that one man standing up to a big organisation and, and, and ending in uh, causing some actual change because you know, we know that deal comes to an end end of next year. Yeah. Um, so that would feel like a small victory for these younger audiences, um, but not all young people felt that way. I did have a trawl through social media when we were putting together these notes, and you know I had to wade through a fair bit of commentary from the older yeah. readers they're, they're pretty outspoken about it but there was a strong presence of younger people there as well you know for some cricket is just about the cricket and you know pat muddying you know a, a major sponsorship seems a bit like biting the hand that feeds you yeah it's a, we did a workshop with a government department yesterday um and we touched on this uh, hmm. as a and it came up as a constant topic in the workshop that we did um and that is about that that perception, the way that younger audiences, I guess they're empowered. Mm. And we talk about the fact that they have grown up with, um, uh, with, I guess, the power behind them. They've had streaming services to watch what they want, when they want, YouTube to watch whatever they want, when they feel like it. Um, they can, you know, get onto music, onto Spotify or Apple Music and listen to whatever they want to listen yeah, to. Yeah, that power of the consumer that you always talk about. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So they're, they're empowered they're, and they're mm. used to going on social media and voicing their opinions. And that's fundamentally different to older generations who grew up, for instance, um, whatever you watched on TV was what was what on. Yeah, there was yeah. there were five channels and you watched whatever they had mm. and you put up with the ads because what else were you going to do? That's it. So, so I think that's, it's a mindset thing as much uh, as it is the normal, I guess, rebellion of young people. That's always something we know that. It's always yes, been, but yes. it's, it's definitely different to what it used to be. But I can't see someone like Pat Cummins changing his mind on something like this because I guess uh, – and, and, and we have dealt briefly with Pat Cummins um, – it working on on media training uh, and I've, I only know him from that and found him so good to deal with mm-hmm. exceptionally polite a uh, guy of enormous talent but well grounded you know very well grounded um, I go back to that story about um, when he was injured and because early on in his career he was injured so much um, he enrolled in a TAFE course or a university course and because he was an Australian player uh, at the time that the um, the TAFE or university gave him a special car park so he didn't have to walk so far because he is recovering from injury. Right. And his parents found out about it and said, you're not using that car park, go and park where everyone else parks. Yeah. So I always thought that was quite an interesting story, hmm. uh, a story that the older generation would certainly like, um, you know, but of uh, course. Yeah, I, yeah. I found him grounded. But this is the mindset that... that, uh, that younger people have um and as we've said here before um if you're in the older generation you're not going to change it so so learn to work with it and that doesn't mean make the a feeling of entitlement for this generation you don't make a feeling of entitlement but you've got to ride the wave 
mm. and learn how to steer the wave, but don't just suspect you can stop the wave because that's never been a, uh, a good tactic, uh, even in the years before internet. Yeah. So, um, speaking of internet, it's often that we bring up Twitter on this and we bring up Elon Musk. So, Jordan, there's been an absence of two weeks, but the Twitter files, what do we need to know about the Twitter files? Yes, so uh, similar to the Facebook files, which we've covered plenty across in this podcast, but last weekend a journalist named Matt Tybee, he authored this Twitter thread called The Twitter Files and it contained over 30 tweets and ended with the promise of more information to come. Uh, For context... Elon Musk and this journalist, they published screenshots of conversations between Twitter employees that detail the company's decision to censor a New York Post's 2020 story about the potential evidence of Hunter Biden misconduct, which was found on a laptop which he previously owned. Um, So the screenshots, they show some uncertainty among the employees and communication between Democratic lawmakers and top Twitter decision-makers regarding the platform's handling of the story. So, so why is this a big deal? Because we do hear the term Hunter Biden's laptop throwing around now as yeah. almost like slang for conspiracy. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. so uh, why is this a big deal? <clears throat> well, for starters, it's, it's pretty bizarre to see a company as large as Twitter uh, to account so thoroughly for its wrongdoing, perceived or actual, but... At the peak of the 2020 elections, there's this, this story exposing the contents of a laptop abandoned by a presidential candidate's son. It was suppressed on a platform that supposedly promotes this free yeah. speech. Yeah. Um, and the contents of this laptop you know, included uh, evidence apparently of, of, that Hunter had peddled some influence with Ukrainian businessmen and a raunchy... 12-minute video, <laughs> which I won't go into the details of. Course, there's of. always a raunchy video. Somewhere. I don't know. What is it with these videos? <laughs> anyway, effectively, Twitter, they invented this reason to suppress the story. They made it impossible to tweet that article, even made it impossible for you to direct message that article to someone on Twitter. And they actually temporarily uh, disabled New York Post's Twitter accounts, which yeah. prevented them from tweeting anything for a few days. And why this is a big deal... People saw this as a big interference in the political process at the time. So this is interesting stuff in the time when uh, Elon Musk has been very active uh, talking about (coughs) the recent past with Twitter before he acquired it. So what's been the reaction to uh, these files? Uh, Journalists, from a journalist point of view, you know, every journalist wanted the scoop for this story, but it it wasn't the big scandal they were all hoping for. And they were led to believe it was going to be some big bombshell. The, the Twitter files, they just didn't reveal any new or shocking reason why Twitter suppressed the story. Uh, a lot of the earlier reporting suggested the, the Biden government may be asked for the story to be suppressed, but there's no evidence of that. Uh, therefore, nothing bombshell new, uh, as they were led to believe. The, the, the public's response... You know, you've got the, the readers on the left and right side of politics. They've agreed on some things and disagreed on others, naturally. Uh, they agreed, you know, much like the journalists, that the, that the reveal of these Twitter files was pretty underwhelming. You know, the left framed it as, you know, a failed headline yeah, grab and, course, and the yeah. right framed it as incomplete picture, an incomplete yeah. picture of the alleged conspiracy at hand. Um, but where the, side, the two sides of politics disagreed um, is that the right saw the Twitter files as more evidence that Twitter's political bias could have played a role in the 2020 election, 
it's been suggested several times by the right that Twitter's employees skew more democratic and so their content moderation would be politically biased in that way. So what do you think about this? Because there's, as you say, both sides uh, of the political spectrum see it in different ways. Mm. Look, I don't have too much to add. I, I saw the Twitter thread when it was just minutes old and I saved it to read later for this podcast, but I read it today and I, I did think it was a bit underwhelming. I find the suppression particularly interesting. It has rarely, you know, if ever been part of Twitter's stated purpose to actually verify news stories, so why, why this yeah. one? Yeah. And I can't ignore that possibility of external government influence in this, but without proof it's just a hunch. Yeah. It's um, coming back to an argument, I think, which is always really difficult to prove, um, and that is um, impartiality. Mm. Um, so ABC here, as we know, has a charter to be independent but also to be unbiased in what it does. Now, that's great in theory, but um, how do you... I guess, assess that because the ABC very, very rarely... And I go on the ABC as a commentator um, regularly, but um, but that doesn't mean I don't have my own views as well, which is what media should be. Um, in terms of trying to assess this stuff, well, for instance, you can be seen as being equal in terms of an, a, a new story if you have both sides of the story in there. But, you know, whose point of view do you put first? And whose point of view goes second? Th these are all things where you can't actually have a hard and fast rule on this. So if you say, for instance, the opposition has come out and slammed the government mm. for blah, 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 um, and then you have the government after that, that's actually a different perception to saying the government has defended uh, its role in whatever and then have the opposition second. So again, there's no easy part about this. Um, the arguments that can often... Um, uh, you know, often just go around in circles. And, and, and like this one with, with the Twitter files, is very interesting, mm. um, but I don't think it will solve anything uh, for us. No. Um, so going from new media to old media, one thing we wanted to talk about this week was very interesting, uh, and that was um, General Electric, uh, GE. Um, it took out all of the advertising this week in one edition of the New York Times. So the New York Times, a 170-year-old print newspaper, mm -hmm. gave over every ad in an edition to the one advertiser, and that was GE. So this was seen as uh, being something that was um, quite interesting in the sense that it had never been done before by the yeah. New York Times. So GE took these ads and had a whole bunch of uh, um, things uh, to point to their, their work. They had a... Um, a guide to create a foldable paper aeroplane. <laughs> uh, they had uh, a circular crossword puzzle from an award-winning puzzle maker okay. um, and other types of things to get the, the, um, the idea through of what GE uh, is up to. Look, um, I'm not surprised at it. Um, they did an announcement uh, to say that, uh, you know, this was a great thing for the Times and for GE. Uh, there was a... Um, uh, an estimation that this was uh, in excess of a uh, million dollars. Oh, yeah. Which, of course, it would need to be. Absolutely. Uh, look, yeah. am I surprised? No. Um, maybe um, maybe 20 years ago it would have been different, but let's face it, advertisers aren't rushing to print editions these days. They're not rushing. It's worth noting, though, because I think we'll see more of this. Because, oh, I think definitely if this works, um, um, you can put a premium on this. 
So that would have been more than the New York Times would get out of a normal print edition mm. because there's a premium for that if you want to take it over. Um, will uh, will other companies look for it? Probably. Um, what, are the <coughs> what are the problems with it? Easily, one, um, is the New York Times comfortable with GE as a company and its behaviour? Because once you go and pony up to an advertiser and let them dominate your paper, um, you're invested in their, for mine, if there's some scandal at GE or something, well, you took a lot of their money. You're attached to them. Yeah, you you gave your paper over to them. It's not something I would have been comfortable with as a newspaper editor, but newspaper editors these days uh, don't have uh, the luxuries I had um, with revenues coming in. Um, And look, we already know they're you know a handful of advertisers who dominate Australian papers to the point where if one of them took over uh, a paper like this you probably wouldn't even notice it but uh, do you think Jordan that um, you know younger people for instance would have seen this is this something that uh, um, would have actually been uh, noted by uh, younger people Oh, I mean, yeah, but I, I suspect the younger the person, the less I would have seen it. I mean, it's, it was 22 full pages in the paper and then five partial pages, plus you have some ads on the desktop and mobile homepage. It's designed, it's impossible to miss. Um, yeah, it's true. But we know people aren't picking up newspapers like they used to and younger people are less likely to check a news site daily as well, so... You know, I also don't don't think the ads are particularly attention grabbing, other than the fact that they're just in your face. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it is, but you know, it's it's GE, particularly for younger people. General Electric splitting into three companies, not the most exciting thing. Yeah, with you there. Um, what is, however, potentially exciting, and for our listeners, if you haven't heard of this, you will hear about this, and you'll hear about it <coughs> a lot. Jordan, Chat GPT, it's new. Tell us why Chat GPT is interesting, and then we're going to explain, as well as you can explain in a podcast, uh, how this online tool works. So yep. go for it, because it's really interesting. I'm fascinated it by it. It is interesting. I actually asked Chat GPT to explain itself. So I'll tell you what it told us. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. It said Chat GPT is a large <laughs> language model trained by open artificial intelligence and that has the ability to assist with a wide range of tasks including generating text, answering questions and providing information. ChatGPT uses advanced natural language processing techniques to understand the context of a conversation and generate human-like responses. One of the key advantages of ChatGPT is its ability to generate text in a variety of styles and formats. So this means that it can assist with tasks like writing articles, generating summaries, or even creating jokes or poetry. Well, that's well described by ChatGPT <laughs> describing itself. And if you want a different version of that listening in, what it means, it's a uh, you can go onto a website, the mm-hmm. ChatGPT website. There is a box you can type in um, a particular question. Please yep. uh, write this for me. Yeah, uh, and just it will, prompt it, yeah. It will write something. So, Jordan, you experimented with it. What did you do? Uh, I did everything from blog writing. I asked for some email subject line suggestions. Uh, did some research on a variety of topics. But, you know, th- there's so many cool features beyond writing and research. Uh, if, if you're someone listening that uh, understands coding, 
you can use it to troubleshoot and solve your coding issues. You can actually put in your error code and it will provide you the solution, which you can take back. Um, also built tic-tac-toe, the Python script, so you can just put in there, say, build me the tic-tac-toe Python script and you can save it to your computer and play tic-tac on your <laughs> computer. Um, I've also, I don't know if anyone else is familiar with the Explain Like I'm Five Years Old. There's a brilliant subreddit on uh, Reddit for it, but it understands that too. So you can ask it a complex, to explain a complex subject uh, as if it's explaining it to a five-year-old, which is great. But, you know, you can write music, translate languages, extract data from massive bodies of text. The possibilities at the moment seem pretty endless, which I think is pretty fascinating and a little unsettling. Unsettling too, because Mm. um, uh, uh, my boys who are, uh, in high school, don't listen to this podcast. I know that for sure. Um, <laughs> so good. I can talk about this without even worrying uh, about that. But I took uh, one of their uh, assignment questions this year in in history, mm. and you you, you and oh, I yeah, did we this. Did. We did. We typed in um, what was the most uh, crucial decision that President John F. Kennedy made in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. And within seconds it had spat out or maybe 250 words of the most crucial decision Mm. that Kennedy made in the Cuban Missile Crisis in a form that you could easily present as as an assignment. Mm. We then cut and pasted the words that were um, produced and you put them into a plagiarizer check and it came up 0% plagiarised. Yeah, it did. I'm not sure if that would apply to every bit of text that it, it gives you, but in this case, yeah, it was. It was 100% unique. Yep. So this is, uh, like I said, my kids don't listen to this. So this is going to be the scary part of it in the sense um, for educational institutions. Mm. How do you even get across this if you've got people... Oh. You, you could, uh, for instance, have an assignment that would be, um, say, you know, five different points and you get a massive head start. Now, whether it's it's not – now, we know that it's not all right because there's a story in one of the papers today that uh, noted that there were some factual mistakes. Yes, For instance, um, um, the chat GPT thought that uh, Bob Hawke and, and not Harold Holt was the Australian Prime Minister who went missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is it worth – Trying, Jordan. Yeah, I reckon it's worth experimenting with. Every prompt that we give it, so anyone that goes on every prompt, it helps it learn and improve, so that's always handy. But back to your point on uh, how accurate it is, I I don't think you should allow it to become your sole source of factual information or rely on it too heavily. You should always go and check other resources. In a bunch of my experiments, I did come across incorrect information, so yeah, always always check your other sources to verify. Yeah, oh look, this is a really interesting thing. We did type in just to see what it would do, say for instance for news reporting, and there have been uh, for many years now um, uh, automatic uh, services that write sports match reports. Like you can actually key in stats from games and they'll spit out a pretty decent story, yeah, which right. is a bit scary. But we did type in um, a few dot points, which you can type dot points in um, and asked um, this bot to give us a match report on a, uh, an NFL match. And it did a pretty decent job, um, although it did invent some um, 
some of the players in terms of who scored touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, but they were current players. There's no problem with that at all. Mm. Um, and it um, elaborated on the information that we put in there. So it's uh, it's pretty freaky what it can do. Yeah, it absolutely is. I think we we put there are three games left until the playoffs. The Jets have not won a Super Bowl in 53 years, and we just sort of let it run. And I'll read you the first sentence. It said, The New York Jets defeated the Buffalo Bills 24-17 at MetLife Stadium on a Sunday, securing a crucial win that moves them to the top of the division and keeps their playoff hopes alive. Right, and we didn't give them any of that in terms of the, um, uh, you know, the standing in the playoff as such, about that added that in mm. correctly. So, yeah, it's this stage of the season, it's December, so wow, Um these things keep yeah. changing. Yeah. They keep changing. So um, yeah. it's it's a good one to have a look at. Chat GPT. Go and Google it. And uh, interestingly, um, it was launched this week and picked up one million users within a few days. It did. And I, I compared it to Instagram. It said it took Instagram three months or two or three months to get that same amount of traffic. So it's growing quite fast. It is. Uh, how's the weekend looking for you? Uh, what is this weekend? Just a bit of work, I think, here and there. But otherwise, pretty standard. Yeah, well, it's you. getting close to Christmas, so uh, yeah, there's a few tasks to tick off between now and uh, Christmas. Mm. So I'll be doing some of those, mm. um, and uh, I'm going to have a surf on Chat GPT. I know that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, see you next week. See you then.